Well, a very good Friday afternoon, everybody. On this first Friday, February 4th, 2022, I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. Welcome to Friday Live. We were like a minute early today, coming on the air. I don't know oh, why. wow. What are we going to do with all I the gotta, extra time? Yeah, I got to check the log. That shouldn't have happened. Mm. We should just be going on now. We were like a minute early. Well, we'll have to fill that caught, minute. Caught me by surprise. Mm. How anyway, about that beautiful weather out there, huh? Gorgeous. Can't wait to talk to Jim and... <laughs> Read him the riot act. Okay. Is it still raining? Oh, it seems like it's been raining for days. But it's not it's, icing, is it? Is it there? Well, I don't, we are. I don't know. Oh, hope not. I'm going to wait for the official weather forecast. Jim will be here later on this hour with the weather. That's right. And, well, uh, I can say this. In, in Flemington, only because I was up there earlier today, they um, already announced that they were going to close adoration early and cancel benediction tonight because they were expecting ice by five or so up there. So, oh, but well, they're north. They are north. Although of our us listening area, who knows what it's doing anywhere? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it varies. So, I mean, what it does in Flemington doesn't necessarily that's happening here or in Bucks County. So, right. So uh, we have a lovely program later on, and just well, a few minutes from now, our good friend Deacon Anthony Co. with his senior spirituality segment will be joining us. As we said, Jim is here with the weather. We're going to play "Name That Catholic Tune." And then next hour, we'll have our gospel reading for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. And uh, Father Gary Koch will be here to give the reflection. And then also Father Blake Britton will join us to talk about his book, Reclaiming Vatican II. So a full program, plus music and talk and all kinds of stuff. So we hope you can stay with us. Of course, we're coming to you live on all of our uh, platforms are our four uh, radio stations here in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, our Amazon Echo and uh, Google Home uh, platforms, as well as our streaming audio, free mobile app, YouTube, Facebook, video. Just going all over the world. It's beyond my understanding. <laughs> Not like the good old days where you just sat behind a mic and you were just on the air. Right, and people at home had to turn on their transistor radio. Right. That was it. Or in your car. Yeah. Well, let's pray. And uh, we are praying for, uh, or still praying, the, co- the prayer of consecration to the Holy Family. So we invite you to join us and pray this prayer of consecration. And in, in a special way, February is dedicated to the Holy Family. It is? It is. Read the uh, Domestic Church Media Newsletter. Oh, did I get one? <laughs> you should have gotten yours by now. Oh, you mean? But the li- it's the liaison. Is it the liaison letter? Yes. Yeah. Oh, maybe you didn't get it. I probably in a I special probably, way. I probably proofread it. Yeah. <laughs> First Fridays are always very busy here for me. Yes. You know, I get here earlier. You think in the about morning. the Holy Family just built on love, and of course, February, the, the month of love. So there you go. So in let's a special pray. Special way. We'll pray the prayer, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We We entrust entrust our our family family to you. O blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust entrust our our family family to you. you. O Saint Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We entrust entrust our our family family to you. you. Holy family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. 
Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. Amen. And we pray our prayers to St. Michael and uh, Our Lady to protect the church from the attacks of the devil, and we add that uh, to that intention to protect our families, our homes, and our country from the attacks of the devil. So we pray, St. Michael, the archangel, defend, defend us, us in, in battle. battle. Be yeah, our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray, pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray, pray for us. St. Pope John Paul II, pray. pray for us. And Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray, pray for us. And yesterday, St. Blaise, pray, pray for, for us. us. The healer of all illnesses of the throat. Now, did they have uh, blessings of the throat at St. Magdalene's yesterday? Yesterday. Or they waited until the weekend? They did yesterday, but they will do it again over the weekend, so. Every last throat will be blessed. Very nice. I, I remember that even from a childhood. You know, some of these sacramentals and traditions that just stay in your mind for years and years. I mean, I could just really trace that one way, way back. Impressionable for some reason. Yeah, because they went right to your throat. Yeah, they put the two big candles. It's just beautiful. Well, of course, I went to Catholic school, so which, by the way, it is Catholic Schools Week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> See, without children in school Sometimes right now forget. and me not teaching in the school, it's not on the forefront of my mind. No, and when Bishop was talking about it earlier, but yeah, it is Catholic. This, I guess, today's the closing day of Catholic right. schools. And week. in some cases, they get today off, so <laughs> like as a gift. But when I was in Catholic school, and they would the priest would come around to the classrooms mm -hmm. and bless the throats. Yeah. Yeah. But I always seem to have gotten tonsillitis at this time of year. Really? I got tonsillitis Wait, more than seasonally. once? Oh, sure. I used to get it seasonally. Oh. Did you, why didn't they just take them out? I don't know. <laughs> my, my brother and sister had their tonsils out. But my youngest, Diane, my youngest sister and Claire, my oldest, they don't, they still, and I still have, we have our tonsils. Even now? Now they call it strep throat. In the day, back in the day, they would call it tonsillitis because your tonsils would get little pustules on it and things. In, inflamed. But I would get it. I would get it seasonally, and, and I stopped getting. You know what I stopped when I stopped getting that many years ago when I started taking Claritin. I was going to say when you started smoking. <laughs> no, I started drinking. That. No, well, I started when I started taking that Claritin because apparently mm -hmm. I would get a drip and that would create the infection. Mm -hmm. I don't know. See, a simple solution. Because I haven't. Please God. Keep me safe from my tonsillitis, but I haven't ha I haven't had it in years. Years, but we used to get sick when we were kids. That's right. You know, when you start school, you get sick. Remember when you that? You bring it home. Yeah. Our kids too. And as a teacher, I can remember that first year. Boy, I was down with so many things. But then it's like you build up your resistance or something, and then after second year and on, I, I wasn't catching as much from the kids. Yeah. So the first yeah. year was a rough one. Yeah. But I remember, and everybody says it, I mean, moms will say it all the time, 
once the kids start going to school, they, mm-hmm. they'll bring home all kinds of stuff. You're right. You know, so you're not going to protect them from. You can't live in a bubble. No. And it's probably better that we did have what we had. Mm-hmm. I had the chicken pox. I had the measles. I had the German measles, which is rubella. I guess that rubella, German measles. Right. Um, uh, chicken pox, mumps. Had the mumps. Do you have the mumps? I'm or sure the, I had all that stuff. Because they didn't have any shots for that. There were no vaccines when, when we were children. No, stuff. no. And the measles vaccine, I was surprised. The measles vaccine came out in the mid-60s. I thought it was earlier than that. Mm. I mean, later than that. But we must have, I had the measles, so. But in those days, if you had the measles, they'd have like a block party. They take all everybody would take their kids over to the, whoever had the measles, and they'd let's take just them get over it and get it over with. Get You're the measles. Right. Yeah. Remember that the measles block parties. <laughs> and uh, mm. but now they have shots for everything. What was it that would create like like red spots everywhere? Red dots. Measles. That was the measles. Yeah, and then the chicken. Chicken pox. It was the chicken pox. The measles, you could, I still have scars from either the chicken pox or the measles. I, think I, I would take them pox. off. I would scratch them. And yeah, yeah. I still have above my eye, there's a couple of scars from, from that. From that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we survived. We certainly did. <laughs> and we're no worse for wear, I don't think. No, no. I, I remember one time we were outside playing and I had this Tonka truck fire engine. And you could actually attach a garden hose to it. And then the little hose on the fire engine would 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 squirt. Oh, how neat! But I forget I was I was doing something. We we were put it. We put an ant in there. <laughs> in the a black ant in the okay. hole where the water would go to okay. see if it, to see if it would Just squirt out. out. <laughs> and I remember taking the hose and and the ant went into my mouth. Ooh. <laughs> I survived. Oh, we did it. We survived. That's right. We survived. But that's the way it is. That's Little the way boys. it was. Mm-hmm. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, boys, you're right. You're right. Because then I did saw the trellis work in the uh, under my porch mm-hmm. when I was about five. You were handy at, at five years old. Had nothing else to do. But you know what? The funny thing is, like, I think our daughter in law, Tori, one time when I was telling her that story, that I was probably five years old and we had this, this wooden trellis work under our porch to keep the animals out, I guess. And one day I went out and I just started sawing. And Tori said, well, a couple of things. Number one, why are you out there by yourself? By yourself, all right. And what are you doing with a saw? Yeah. <laughs> Where's your mother? <laughs> Nobody, you yeah. know, it did. that's just the way it was. I know, not today, though. I remember it was a big deal. Now, little Charlotte's just five. Maybe she was four or I can't imagine younger than that. But remember they said it was mm. a big deal. She wanted to walk around the house the by herself. The outside of the house. I mean, they live in a, a little community. You know, the houses are kind of spread apart, but in a cul-de-sac. And it was just, they they were probably scurrying to every window to watch her. That, But she wanted to, she probably saw it on one of these little TV shows or something. But she wasn't afraid she was going to walk around, around the entire the house, of the house alone. Alone. And they did, they said they went window to window. They <laughs> wouldn't take their, where my mom would, would see you, you know, you'd be five years, we're outside playing in the front yard. I'll call you at five for dinner. And they would peek out the windows to make sure we're still there, I guess. I'm sure, I'm sure. But uh, not anymore. Well, listen, we're going to take a break and come back. Our good friend Deacon Anthony CO is here with his senior spirituality segment. And then later on, uh, Jim's here with the weather this hour. And also, uh, we're going to play Name That Catholic Tune. So oh, you... it's a fun one today. Okay, so you stay where you are. We'll be right back with more. Don't go away.
All righty, welcome back. And uh, was that a, something, a live performance, obviously, somebody in high school or something? Right. I, I think I heard Deacon Anthony singing along. I did. Speaking of Deacon, we need to give <laughs> Deacon Anthony his, that's true. <laughs> we need to give him his, his own theme song. Now. We probably have that's our right. son Anthony write up a little jingle for when we introduce Deacon Anthony. We need a fanfare for you, dear Deacon. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be with you. I actually was. I was listening to music and I was starting to sing. I said, boy, I hope they can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> don't you love that? I mean, they just don't write hymns like that anymore. Absolutely true. Yeah, that's a good one. And I just want to yes. share share with the listeners, and while you're on the phone here, I got a lovely, Jim and I got a lovely, lovely card from someone n- not too long ago that said, <laughs> I see Jesus in you. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder who sent that. I don't. I I don't really remember, but I uh, I just wanted to share that how it really brightened our day. <laughs> well, you know what? And there's truth in that. I, I think when I was on with you last time, mm-hmm. uh, I was mentioning how I think it's a nice thing when we can just send a note to someone who we think highly of, mm-hmm. or someone who we just met, or someone who we think can use nice words, and tell them something nice and encouraging. And I thought about you guys because oh. I really do see Jesus in you folks. I really oh. do. The work that you're doing is absolutely amazing. Oh, well, that was beautiful and very, very Thank thoughtful. You, Thank you. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. Of course, we always appreciate all the good, good work you do for us and being a part of our family here mm-hmm. at Domestic Church Media by joining us every month. So, uh, joy to have you back. Well, it is my pleasure. Let me tell you how I started my day. I began my day as part of a gospel reflection group. And I have to tell you something. I recommend that to everyone, especially seniors, but not only to seniors. I think it's a great way to strengthen your spiritual life. So I encourage everyone, join a Bible study group or a gospel reflection group. Check with your parish or your neighboring parish or your diocese for options that are available to you. Because it's a great thing. And this morning, the group reflected on the gospel for this coming Sunday, which is Luke 5, 1 through 11, is St. Luke's version of the call of the disciples. What a beautiful gospel it is. And I came away with a question for everyone, for our audiences, for you guys, and the question is, where is Jesus leading you, and what is Jesus asking you to do? Really deep questions, but really important. And I asked the question because... That's one of the questions that the Gospel is asking us to think about. The Gospel provides this background story, and if I'm going to share it with you, if I can, just I'm going to share just some of the background. Mm-hmm. It's the story of these simple fishermen, and they're asking us to put ourselves in Peter's shoes and ask the question, will you follow where God is leading you? So the kind of the background of the story is this in the Gospel. You'll hear it this Sunday. Um, there's two boats, and the fishermen are out on the boats, and they're washing their nets, right? Now, that tells us they were already fish finished fishing. They've been out all night. They were in the process of cleanup. It was not a good night. They didn't catch any fish, and that's their livelihood. So when they didn't catch fish, it's hard for them to earn money and to eat. They were done for the day. Jesus comes along, gets into the boat, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and he asked them to row out a little distance. Just go out a little way. Now, Peter's tired from the long night of fishing. He just wants to finish, go home, eat his dinner, sleep, 
But now this guy, Jesus, comes along and ends his plans. But what does Peter do? He says, okay, I'll go out a little bit. I could picture him rolling his eyes <laughs> as he said that to Jesus. <laughs> then to make matters worse, after Jesus is done teaching, he tells Peter to go out into the deep waters and lower the nets. Now, again, I, I can almost see Peter looking at Jesus sideways as he thinks to himself, I'm a professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. I know better than you how to catch fish. I have to tell you, that sideways look is kind of the same look I get from my wife <laughs> when I stand over her while she's cooking. Cooking. <laughs> she's, she's an amazing cook. I can't boil water. But I stand over her, and I'll say, don't you think you should add a little bit more of this? Don't you think you should chop something differently? <laughs> she gives me that sideways look. The only difference is she knows what, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Jesus does <laughs> in this particular case. So Peter, he's been out all night fishing. You know, he feels something inside, though, that he's called to do. And even though he knows there's no fish there, he, tired and hungry, ready to go home, decides that he will respond to Jesus. So he takes the boat out in the deep, he casts the nets. To their surprise, they make the biggest catch ever. So heavy with fish, the nets began to tear. So far, Jesus asked them first to go out a little bit, right? Then he asked them to go out in the deep. Now we come to the end of this gospel passage. That's the most dramatic part. Jesus asked them to go out beyond the deep, Go into the unknown. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You'll be sharing this good news message that you just heard me teach. They need to give completely of themselves, to stretch themselves as far as they were possible. And their response, they brought the boats into shore, and they left everything to follow him. Mm. What an amazing story. And I, I, I think of it and I say, would I have the courage to do that? Mm-hmm. Would I have the courage to drop everything? But my gosh, they did it. And in that gospel story is so much, because again, this call from Jesus is tucking our heart, go a little, go farther, go out into the deep, go beyond the deep. Don't worry, don't fear. I can, I can help you and I'll support you. In that gospel section that we've heard, we actually see six stages of a Christian life. Now let's say what they are. The need. The apostles had the need. The followers, rather, had the need. And that need, in that particular case, was to catch some fish for their livelihood. They were suffering for that day. If we don't suffer, how can we appreciate the gift? Our hands have to be empty for Jesus to fill them. If we're not hungry, we can't enjoy the food. This gives us the first taste, the first step, the first stage. There's a need. Then Jesus gives us an invitation to trust. He invites the apostles to put out into the deep water. He barges into their lives, and he interferes with their plans. God barges into our lives. He interferes with our plans. He's asking us to take a risk, to do something that might seem fruitless and foolish. But we're asked to trust him. Then comes the positive response if we do. If we do trust him, 
if we do follow him, even though sometimes it may seem like his words are not making sense for us, right? If we do trust him, the, the, the response that we give is something that takes us, gives us the courage to move on to the next level. Lord, I don't stand, understand why you're asking me to do this. It's out, outside my comfort zone. I'm scared to do what you're asking me to do, but I will trust you. And then comes the result of that trust, the payoff. For the fishermen, it was the miraculous catch. For us, the positive response is also miraculous. Now, the full payoff for us, that, that miraculous catch may not come for us until the next life, but in this life, there are many outstanding appetizers. There's many beginnings to that great course, which will be our life with our Lord in heaven. There's an amazing amount of joy that comes from trusting in God. And Mother Teresa said, God will not be outdone in generosity. The fifth stage now comes. What was Peter's reaction to God's generosity? His reaction is amazement and humility. Peter falls to his knees. He humbly admits his sinfulness. We see that the things that God is asking us to do at the time turned out to be a better way than what we were going to do. And we are humbled when we discover that God's way is the best way. Father, your will be done. Uh, I read something from Peter Kreef, and he wrote that, if you know the song, I did it my way, Mm -hmm. that's not the song of saints as they go marching into heaven. That's the song of the damned as they go marching into hell. Mm -hmm. Interesting thought. Mm -hmm. Finally, the sixth stage is that Jesus gives them a new job. He tells them that they need to go out to others and bring that message to them to become fishers of men. Jesus is directing us to do the same, to share our own experience of the good news that God is good and is willing and is trustworthy, and to go out and speak about the message to others. That's the stages, those are the stages of Christian life. We have a need. God gives us his invitation to trust him. If we can give him that positive response and trust him, the result of that trust will be overwhelming. Our reaction is to be humble, because we need to be humbled in that situation. And then we are to answer that final call, that big call, which is for us to go out and share this with others. Mm. I think that this gospel for this Sunday is just so beautiful. And I'd like our listeners to think about some of those things, maybe as they have the opportunity to hear that gospel this week. Beautiful, Deacon Anthony. I, I, I agree with you. It's one of my favorite Gospels. Very you know, powerful, and, isn't it? Powerful. And, you know, John Paul used that uh, often when he would talk about Duke and Altum, put out into the deep. And mm-hmm. that's that's how we live our faith is to, you know, faith takes risks you know, and, and, and discipleship takes risks yeah, and yeah. trust, you know. To really... Yes, it does. It does. You know, I, I, Pope Benedict, it might have been the last year of his papacy, um, he he changed or he added a couple of endings, you know, the uh, uh, at the mass. So when the priest or deacon says go, okay, he added he added these others that the deacon or priest would say say 
go and announce the gospel of the Lord is one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or go out and, and, and through your life, okay, show others, lead others through through uh, uh, through what you do. He, he's added those so that we can, when we're at Mass, understand that we are to go out and do God's will. You know, mm-hmm. right. so it's 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 that push to us. Okay, that push to us. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't end there. Mass is over, so then it's over. It's just See beginning. See you next week. <laughs> yeah, it's just beginning. And just by our very baptism, we are called to go out and evangelize and, and witness. Mm-hmm. And the pivotal point I see in all of that scenario is the trust. That trust is huge. And I think a lot of us struggle with, with that element. You know what I think we do, and I think you're you're absolutely right. I think trust is hard because we want to be in control, right? Yeah. You know, we we want to control a situation. It's hard to be able to give up control, and to trust is to be able to say, you know what, I I know that I am not in control, and I'll allow you to be. I I will give up. I'll I'll let you pedal the bicycle here. Mm-hmm. That is what's so hard for us to be able to do. Mm-hmm. But if we can do that, if we can give in and say. I, Lord, I know it's out of my control. I will trust you to lead me in the right direction. Yeah. Wow, what happens is amazing at that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I think uh, sometimes we trust our GPSs more than we trust the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Right. Even though it might lead us over a cliff. That's <laughs> right. You know, we plug in where we're going. To, okay, just f- do what that do what it tells you to do. I You're know. <laughs> having complete trust in that machine. And, uh, true. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis. It's very short. I think it was C.S. Lewis. He said, um, when everyone is running in one direction, but the person who's running in the opposite direction looks like a fool. Right? Mm-hmm. And as Christians, many times we look like the fool because we're going in the opposite direction, the right. opposite direction, the crowd. Mm-hmm. The crowd is going one way, okay? The crowd is following the GPS, and <laughs> And we're going the other way, right. and that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, that's a good thing. Yeah, we're trying to swim right. upstream, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, wasn't it Bishop Sheen said, "Dead things float downstream." No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, that's true. That's, that's exactly right. It's right. exactly true. Right, right. I hope you're giving a homily at one of your masses this uh, this weekend, Very good. Uh, Deacon. Well, I have to tell you, I think that after what we were just talking about here, I think I might have my homily for this week. <laughs> I think you might too. That's yes, why I say a that. A plus, a plus. We'll have to get we'll have to get a little note over to your pastor there and say, uh, uh, give 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 Deacon Anthony one of those masses because he's got a very powerful homily, beautiful, powerful homily. Well, thank you, and it's great. Thank you, thank you. Well, we we cer- oh we certainly appreciate that, Deacon, and and uh, you know I know as. As things start to to uh, lighten up, hopefully, you know, when you're in the area, you can come by and say hello and stop by the studio. And I know we we miss seeing you at times, and uh, so always feel free if you're ever in the area. Don't don't hesitate to come knocking on our I door. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. And my my daughter is now back to full time work in your area. Ah. She's off of you know they they're now back in the office five days a week instead of working from home. Oh. So I'm always giving an excuse to come up and have lunch with my daughter and come over to the studio and see everyone. All we right. So. We'll we set a date. So. Good. Well, you have a very blessed weekend, and, and thanks so much for, for being with us today, Deacon, as always. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. God bless everyone. God have bless a good you. weekend. Bye. All right, friends, and you stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Don't Go Away. Lord, 
prepare me.
All right, which one of those came first, that song or holy, the divine, holy, holy. No, the divine oh. mercy chaplet? For the sake of, of oh. his sorrowful passion. Oh, right? Good question. I wonder which was first. But mm-hmm. we know who's first now, first in our hearts, first in the weather, uh, our domestic church media meteorologist, Jim Hoffman. Oh, we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. All righty, and here he is, Jim Hoffman. Hello, Mr. Hoffman. How are you? A little slow on my jingle there. I thought you were going to miss out. <laughs> I know. I, I, I was off. I, was, I, was mess- I shouldn't mess around with my rhythm. That's right. Well, you were just moved by all that soul that we were in being surrounded. Yeah, yeah. But if I get off track, then then I then I can't get back on. But anyway, we picked ourselves up and dusted ourselves off, and here you are. Yes, you did, and and my jingle too. And so your jingle, I'm good. you're good. Okay, good, good. Well, we're happy you're here. And uh, Cheryl was just saying how much she what a lovely day it is outside today. Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell me about all this sogginess we've been experiencing. See, my fear is as it gets as the day goes on, if it gets colder and colder, we'll never get out of here. I know we'll be ice skating home. But Jim will tell us what's going to happen. Right. I will. I will let you know. All right. Um, yeah, I, I woke up this morning and I went to uh, over at St. Greg's for seven o'clock mass, and it was fifty-five degrees. <laughs> oh my! Like spring. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. It was beautiful. Um, but it was raining, and, um, you know, the temperature, I mean, it just got worse throughout the day, right? The um, temperature started to drop, and it was 55 degrees this morning. Right now in Hamilton, it's 37. Ooh, <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. And you know what I yeah. noticed? I was at morning mass, too, and um, we have tile flooring and stone and it it just wouldn't dry like they were trying to dry it with mops and everything, and it, it, because it was so warm, the condensation it was like we were skating across the lobby. Oh my! Yeah. I guess the tile was so cold and the air was so warm and moist. Something, something. We're just not yeah. drying out. Yeah, we had fog a couple mornings this week. It was yeah. really kind of an odd week yeah. weather-wise. But we can it thank you for that. Last week at this time, we were talking about a big snowstorm. Yeah, well, let's 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 backtrack a little bit. How did you do on all your predictions? You're pretty pretty uh, uh, on target with what you said was going to happen. I know we had about I don't know maybe six or seven yeah, inches over in maybe five or six inches. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, I think we're good. So we were let's see, we were talking about um, the Hamilton area. We were talking about six to twelve inches. We ended up with about nine, nine mm-hmm. to ten inches. Great. Um, you know, down the shore, we're looking at uh, anywhere from 10 to 18 inches, which is generally on target. There were some areas that got, you know, more than that. Some got like 20, you know, 21 inches. Mm. Um, but generally, it was, it was pretty good. The, you know, as I said last week, the computer models came into alignment on where the heavier snow was going to be. And yeah. it was generally along the coast. Is that, that's where yeah. most of the snow mm-hmm. fell. And now it's all gone. I know it really washed away. Now it's all gone. So what do we have yeah. in store? Because yeah. I know, as I said, it's. I think it was still drizzling here earlier. I don't know. I haven't been outside in about an hour. But uh, when is it going to start freezing up? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the radar now, and right now it's there's still liquid falling from the sky. To get to any um, 
uh, any frozen precipitation, you have to go back. Um, uh, looks like in eastern Pennsylvania, like around uh, just west of King of Prussia area. Oh, mm. um, so that'll slowly, and there's not much of it, so that'll slowly move in our direction. There might be, you know, some sleet or um, freezing rain <clears throat> that might occur, but um, not 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 too much. I wouldn't expect too much, but because the uh, loads are pretty wet and the temperature is supposed to drop pretty quickly, you know, we're looking at um, temperatures down or in the low 20s tonight. So mm. anything that's left on the road will, will freeze over. So, you know, you get what they call the black ice, things like that, that, that can be pretty treacherous. So um, be very careful. But uh, right now the temperatures out there, was interesting. I was looking at the temperatures and not much different than they were one week ago today. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. I'd have to change my notes. <laughs> so Ewing, Ewing is at 37, Freehold 35, Hamilton 41, Hamilton, where I sit, 37, Cape May uh, 40, Beach Haven 40, Seaside Heights 37, and Sandy Hook water temperature is 37 degrees. If you want to go in for a dip. Um, so tonight, uh, yeah, what we expect the rain to maybe change over a brief period of sleep, maybe freezing rain. Uh, before it ends altogether, cloudy with a little around 21, and we don't expect too much accumulation of anything. So, uh, but just be careful with the ice that forms. Saturday, it's going to be cloudy in the morning and clearing in the afternoon. It's going to be below freezing, so high near 30 and windy too. So, we're going to have a northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. You see gusts out there as high as 25. Saturday night, clear, low around 12, getting pretty cold. And then Sunday, Starting with a high near 33, Sunday night, partly cloudy, low 24, and first day of the work week on Monday, mostly cloudy, high near 41, and just taking a sneak peek in the next week, um, we're looking at highs uh, throughout the week in the mid-40s and lows in the mid-upper 20s, and maybe a slight chance of rain or snow showers Monday night, but that's about all we see right now for the week ahead. All right. Well, well that's, that's not bad. Good. That's not bad. So we'll get we'll break it out of here no. before we before we have to skate out of here. I would imagine. <laughs> That's right. But uh, all right, well, James, <laughs> nothing worse than that feeling when you're in when you that feeling of putting on the brakes and nothing stopping. You talk about not being in control. No, I, I, I was laughing because I had this mental image of you on skates, Jenny. Ah, <laughs> yes. And of course, I wasn't standing. I was on my my uh, derriere, as they say. That's how I'd end up. All right, well, James, thank you so much for another wonderful forecast, and we'll look forward to talking with you next week. All right. God bless. Have a great week. God bless you, okay, too. Hi Thanks, to the Jim. family. Bye-bye. I certainly will. God gave us night and day so we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. All right, time to name that Catholic tune, a fun game show that we play here on Friday Live. And uh, the rules are these. Cheryl will give us some information about today's Catholic tune. And uh, listen carefully. 
and then she's going to go over and play a little bit of it on the uh, nine-foot Steinway we wheeled in here. Mm. And uh, it, when she plays a little snippet of it, you can give us a call. Do you think you know what it is? 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. When she'll give you some clues, play a little snippet, then you can call 609-493-8255. So let's hear about today's Catholic tune. I learned a little bit about this hymn today myself. This is a hymn of trust and hope and joy, but that probably covers about 400 hymns, right? So we're going to narrow it down a little Mm -hmm. bit. It was first published in a Presbyterian hymnal in 1911, but I guarantee you it's in every hymnal across the board, every faith denomination and probably numerous languages. The text first appeared in the poems of Henry Van Dyke. Now, who was Henry Van Dyke, you say? Dick's brother. (laughs) Not Dick Van Dyke's brother, because this is going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. However, a noted author and poet, he was a professor of English in Princeton University for about 23 years. So some of our listeners might know someone who knew him or something. Professor De Van Dyke. A Professor Van Dyke. But um, he was actually inspired by the beauty and grandeur of the Berkshire Mountains to, in Massachusetts. to write this prose. prose. Yeah, he That's was, where the shrine is, the uh, Divine Mercy Divine Shrine. Mercy. Yeah. He was invited to speak at a college graduation in Massachusetts and then uh, saw the Berkshires. Hence, the poem came to fruition. But this is what's going to help you name this hymn. The melody comes to us from what is known as a choral symphony. It is from the fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. So the melody dates back to 1824 and uh, sung in German first then. And it's actually a completely different text. When this hymn version was sung, Way back in the 1800s, the lyrics were completely different than what we will see in our hymnal. Okay, so listen carefully. Cheryl's going to walk over to the nine-foot Steinway we've wheeled into the studio and play a little bit of this uh, hymn. And uh, if you think you know what it is, give us a call at 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. And here's a little sample for today's Catholic tune. Ooh, 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. Want to play it one more time there? Sure, and it's not necessarily the beginning. Sometimes I will pick a phrase starting right in the middle of the piece. Okay, we have a contestant on the line. Hi, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Arlene from Cream Ridge. Oh, Eileen from Cream Ridge. Okay, very nice. Yes. And hello, Jim and Cheryl. How Hi, are you? How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. well, thank good. you. We're happy you called. And what is the name of today's Catholic tune? I think it's Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Very good. That is correct. Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Eileen, great, good, wonderful. <laughs> now, are are you in a choir? Uh, no, I'm not, but I like to sing along with the hymns in church. So. Good for you. And that's actually 
one of my favorites. Yeah, just uh, a classic, right? A classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's everything there for you guys? Okay. Um, everything here is good. The snow is pretty much gone, so things are looking good. Yeah, well, stay Not safe. Not looking forward to the ice tonight, though. I, have I know, to I know. So we just hunker down and find something on yeah, or yeah. get a good book or listen to some music, right? And Right, right. This good, will... Yeah, good, good weekend to stay home. It's going to be cold and kind of not so great weather, so yeah. Yeah. Maybe a good weekend to bake. Stay home, so stay warm. You have to tell oh, us yeah, what you're baking is. these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, truth be told, I'm trying not to bake so much these days because I did way too much at Christmas. Oh, okay. What we what we didn't give away stayed here, and you know what that means. Oh, I completely uh, yeah, we understand. Know we know that. We know that. Well, again, congratulations. Uh, uh, joyful, joyful. Thank you so much. We adore thee is the name of the hymn, and then we'll uh, we'll get a, a fine prize. We will out send to you. you a prize. All righty. Okay, that sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Right. God Good bless to talk you. To you. God bless you, too. Okay. Have a great weekend. You, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, and here is that tune. Uh, that tune.
All right, congratulations to Arlene from Cream Ridge. She's our winner today. Name that Catholic tune, Joyful, Joyful. And uh, in the Beethoven piece, it's Ode to Joy. Ode to Joy, right. And, of course, it would have been in German. And um, if you were to, if you look it up, there are several websites that deal with the history of hymns, any one of them, and they'll show you a completely different set of lyrics and text for when it appeared in the Beethoven Symphony. And so it wasn't until 1911 when Mr. Van Dyke um, penned his poem and then coupled it to that music. Hmm. Ludwig van Beethoven and Henry van Dyke. So yeah. there's a little connection there. So there are probably some other... Neat, huh? If you can probably go through all those classical composers and find pieces and write words to them and sell it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But and they can't get a cut because it's, it's they've public been long domain. Gone. It's public domain, right? All that oh. material is public domain now, right? Absolutely. So, absolutely. There's no really co- no real copyright on it. And I think it's the next hour, if I'm not mistaken, we're gonna play um Oh God Beyond All Praising, and it's the same idea yeah. from Gustav Holtz from the Planets, which was a huge orchestral suite. And uh, from that they drew one theme and they wrote beautiful lyrics, and now it's a very powerful hymn. Hmm. So put your thinking cap on and start listening to those symphonies. Yeah. And there's, uh, well, there are a few of them like that. I mean, they're pretty popular, mostly. Jesu Joy, Bach, Nicholas Cantata, and now they're simply in the hymnal. Oh, uh, another one. Um, Dvorak, Going Home from Largo. Jim looks very perplexed. Very perplexed. That doesn't ring a bell. Confused about that one. Okay. Maybe. Now, you just gave me an idea for a show for my Catholic music history. Okay. I can take all those symphonic works. And all right. You could play some of the larger piece and then listen to the hymn. Well, thank you, Jim. You're welcome. We have another big hour coming up. Uh, next hour, our gospel reading for the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time, followed by the reflection by Father Gary Koch. And then Father Blake Britton will be here to talk about his book, Reclaiming Vatican II. So you stay where you are. There's more to come. If you're watching on YouTube or uh, Facebook, uh, we're going to take a break and be back at the top of the hour. So don't go away. More to come. Father Benedict Groeschel. I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think of the great faith of the immigrants from Europe, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Jewish, the immigrants from Asia, and how they went on with great courage 
and determination. If you go visit this Ellis Island in New York City, you'll see endless pictures of faces marked by faith and courage and trust in God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self-indulgence and paganism? The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. One of the things that we often think about in our spiritual lives is how to do something big for God. But really, most of the time, we should focus on how we can do something small for God. It's these small things that help us consecrate our ordinary daily activities and help us do everything for Jesus Christ. Catholic Answers Live. Heard right here on Domestic Church Media, weeknights at 6. Bishop Robert Barron. Tolkien has reached out to, you know, Nordic culture and literature and Icelandic sagas and all sorts of things. He learned a lot about the good, the true, and the beautiful from his study of pre-Christian cultures. He used narrative forms that were accessible to the culture. He adapted that to evangelical purposes. So that shows you that flexibility. It shows you a certain um, creativity in the evangelical uh, art. He did not proselytize. Rather, he very delicately and indirectly and cleverly evangelized through the imagination so that someone taking in these great stories of Tolkien or his friend C.S. Lewis, they're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. I recognize that pattern. So that finally when they hear the gospel, they'll say, yeah, I understand that. I learned that from the Lord of the Rings. I learned that pattern from the Narnia stories. That was the genius of those fellas. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish and we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Today, I sent an email to my husband, and I said, you rock. I cooked breakfast for my wife. I came to pick up the kids, told her to stay home and relax. I did his laundry. Made the bed for my wife because she usually does, and I even put the pillows in the right place. She was thrilled. What have you done for your marriage today? Do something a little special. Get started at foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. This is WFJS 1260 AM Trenton, WFJS 89.3 FM Freehold, WGYM 1580 AM Hamilton, and WSMJ 91.9 FM North Wildwood, Cape May. Communicating hope on Domestic Church Catholic Radio. Back, friends, another big hour of Friday Live here on this first Friday edition of February 4, 
2022. I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. Welcome. And we're looking forward to having you stay with us for the next hour. Another big hour coming up. Uh, we're going to begin with our gospel reading for this Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Then our good friend, Father Gary Koch, will give the reflection. And then later on, I'm excited about this uh, author, uh, Father Blake Britton has written a book called Reclaiming Vatican II, what it really said, what it means, and how it calls us to renew the Church. I think everybody you ask will have a different interpretation of Vatican II and what came out of it. Yeah, so he's going to set us straight. Yes. Uh, Also, on your behalf, he's a classically trained opera singer, pianist, and organist. Wow. And we only get him for 15 minutes. Ooh, I need more than that. (laughs) He'll have a lot to say, I would imagine, about... uh, And music music. was a big part of it. I, I mean... Very big part. Sure. So uh, that's coming up, and we hope you can stay with us, my friends. Uh, but we will begin with our gospel reading, uh, one of my favorite gospels this Sunday, Duke in Altum, Put Out into the Deep. Yes. Uh, and then Father Gary will take us uh, with the uh, gospel reflection. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so that the boats were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish they had made seized him and all those with him. And likewise, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. What looks like a casual encounter with a rabbi on the shores of the Sea of Galilee changes the life of a fisherman named Simon forever. Simon had heard this new rabbi sermonize at the synagogue in Capernaum on the prior Sabbath. This rabbi even came to his home and cured his mother-in-law from a fever. A professional fisherman, Simon has a few partners and a nice business. They have been fishing all night long and have caught nothing. In a lake as large and as rife with stocked fish as was the Sea of Galilee at this time, this was a strange occurrence. We do not know what quota Simon needed to have in order to meet his payroll or fulfill his contracts. Like any businessman during a stressful period, Simon is a little on edge, and that comes across when the rabbi effectively commandeers his boat so that he can preach to the crowd gathered on the shore. After preaching, the rabbi tells him to put out again, and merely drop his nets to the other side of the boat. It all seemed so futile to do. The rabbi was not a fisherman, he was a common laborer. Yet Simon has faith in this mysterious rabbi. So against what would make sense, 
he did as the rabbi instructed. A large catch of fish ensues. This scene has a remarkable parallel to the post-resurrection story in the Gospel according to St. John. Clearly there is an underlying connection between these two events. Upon coming out of the water with the large catch of fish, the response of Simon to Jesus the rabbi is very clear and succinct. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In our first reading, the prophet Isaiah, a professional court prophet, undergoes a dramatic experience of conversion at some point within his own ministry. There Isaiah, swept up into the heavenly liturgical assembly, recognizes his own sinfulness and unworthiness. This level of awareness on the part of the prophet and the future apostle offers us a very important insight as we go about the day-to-day living of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. It is easy, perhaps all too easy, to forget that we are sinful people. True, we might go to Mass every Sunday and perform acts of prayer and charity, and be for the world good examples of Christian and Catholic living. But if we fail to be in touch with the deepest aspects of our humanity, then we are merely mouthing words and going through actions. Perhaps we have not heard much about sin recently. For many, when they hear talk about sin, they revert back to a prior time in the life of the Church when we seemed too obsessed with sin and that we lack the sense of redemption and God's mercy. As Catholics, we need to form a healthy balance between these two extremes. In a sense, we need to recover our Catholic roots so that we might more completely experience the beauty of what the faith offers to us. We are sinners. It is part of our daily experience. While it is true that our sins are forgiven in the act of Jesus' death and resurrection, it does not mean that we are no longer culpable for the actions of our daily lives. It is also likely true for most of us that we are not regularly serious sinners. We are more likely to be guilty of sins of omission than of commission, and are more generally thoughtless than thoughtful. Perhaps this is likely true. We are less likely to give our sinfulness any mind. Consciously or subconsciously, directly or indirectly, we push back. Knowing we are in the presence of a God who loves us and calls us to perfection, these pesky sins which we ignore become stumbling blocks for us. Like Simon Peter, many of us prefer that Jesus leaves us alone. Let us put off talk of sin for another time and another place. Sooner or later, those times and places run out, and we are left alone, one-on-one with the God whom we have avoided. Ours is a God who loves us and calls us to perfection and holiness. It is a time to open our arms and to come back to communion with God in the sacrament of reconciliation. It is only when we recognize our sinfulness that true discipleship can begin.
Ah, dreams of the Jersey Shore. I know. (laughs) On a cold, damn February day. I know. Before you know it, we'll be down there. That's right. And we have so many wonderful listeners in that part of the state, although you were just saying uh, on the break there that uh, somewhere you saw a list of the places to retire to. Right. In in all of the United States, they listed uh, in numerical order from the best place, which is Florida, they will uh, accommodate the senior citizens in a grand style. And New Jersey was the absolute last one, <laughs> bottom of the list. They just said it's not senior friendly from <laughs> everything from taxes. You, they tax, tax your um, retirement, yeah, and, tax your retirement and all that stuff yeah. to um, just not much to do and not just not senior citizen friendly. Yeah. No entertainment or I don't For know. For seniors, you mean? Well, I they mean, haven't seen they, that, me. I haven't seen me and my big band yet. That's out of. right. I don't know that I would go that far, but <laughs> you think of those uh, retirement villages that in, mm-hmm. in Florida, and they have all the activities for them and everything. I, I think it's they really win the prize, yeah. as the Carolinas and some of those other states do. New Jersey already's been built up, and there's no place to add on. And you know. I mean, it's, it is expensive. Very that's expensive. Just, that's, you know, we compare because we live in Pennsylvania, and we <laughs> we compare. Even just taxes to my siblings, and, and just it's amazing the difference yeah, just across tax. the river. Yeah. Oh my goodness, price uh, of gasoline even. Although out out in in the in the desert southwest there, there's a lot of retirement. There's that Sun right. City. All right, that must be towards the top of the list. Uh, I would imagine. Where they drive around in their little golf carts yeah. and all the little shops for them. And <laughs> Remember, we, I, when we lived out there, we visited your, your parents had a friend out there in Sun City. Remember we went to visit and and right. in the community where they live in Sun City, it's the, like the Dell Webb community or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I was I was very impressed that that the houses all had a switch you can flick if you were in some kind of distress and your outside light would flash. Would flicker, yes, and it would let people know that you need help. That you needed help, like I've fallen and I can't get. That's up. before all this technology. Now you have all the technology. You would need a flashing light sure. on the outside of your house. Yeah, but they really um, take care of them very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you think the weather changes too. I mean, do we want to retire in New Jersey and risk slipping on the ice every year? No, nah. no. Although, so you go to those warmer <laughs> climates. <laughs> Bruce and Linda, <laughs> not that they're retired, but they are retired. But they moved up even to a snowier part, to the Rochester area. No, yeah, I've had it, it with the snow and ice. I can't take it anymore. I, I, it's funny because you you get older and it's like you're just. I'm watching. Okay, so there's patch. Is there a patch of ice where, when you're younger, you run and slide on it just on and purpose. And you know, silly, but even last night it was so um, so damp and just this drizzle, and it wasn't freezing where where I was. It wasn't freezing, but I was still. Everything felt slippery, and it was just rain. But my shoes were just so wet, and I went into the church, and the lobby is a tile floor. I thought, I'm going to go 
sailing across this narthex. Yeah, and the fear is greater. Yeah. Although I was, you know, I had my little, I have to get back on it after I had my surgery. Yeah. I'll get back on my little device back there. The balance machine. The balance beam. It's like a balance board with mm-hmm. uh, from Bob Eubanks from the the, the, uh, the dating the, the um, newlywed game. Right. I saw it advertised. But uh, they say when you're doing, you're, you know, it teaches you how to, your brain, I guess as you get older, your brain, your motor skills, your brain doesn't really function as well with your, you know, it doesn't communicate well with the, when motor you're trying, skills. Yeah, your motor skills. Mm-hmm. And um, they say when you're doing this to look straight ahead, don't look down because you will go where you're looking. So if you look down, you're in, inevitably going to go down for yeah. some reason. The tendency is to fall. Yeah. So I don't know if that's true or not. They said it well, on. Well, the this. good thing is, as you get older, you shrink a little bit, so you don't have as far to fall. I'm shorter. That's right. It's like okay, it's not that far down to the floor now. Yeah, yesterday when I had to go to my little checkup there at the doctor, and did they take your height? Yeah, I, I, I've got <laughs> to be taller than five six. Got to be taller. That's wrong. Measure five it again. Foot six. I could play one of those dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> if they're looking, oh, yeah. if they're casting Snow <laughs> White. Snow White, right. Yeah, we have to see what that outcome is I could be grumpy. Be. That's going to be my my part, grumpy. What is the deal? It's politically incorrect to, to cast dwarves? Is that the argument? Not really. There, We saw him. There was that one, there was that one actor who, who uh, is a dwarf, and you can say dwarf. I checked that. It's PC correct mm-hmm. because dwarfism is a, is a legitimate uh, Term. condition, yeah. Mm. But um, there were other dwarves— <laughs> That we're complaining about him saying, look, this is the only job we can get. Why take the jobs away from us? How There's, many years do you wait for something Yeah, like it's a this. big break. You know, they're waiting for the big break, seven of them. Yeah. And they're saying, Don't, why would we not want these jobs? I mean, they're they're made for us. We're, you know, it's perfect. We're it perfect makes, for the part. It reminds me of when I was um, casting and producing a show, which I didn't do a lot of that, but this one school job I had in an elementary school, K through eight, um, and they wanted uh, Annie Jr., the musical Mm -hmm. for the spring. Mm -hmm. And um, so you have to try to get the orphans, you know, to look like orphans and and choose those children that are going to fit. Well, there was an eighth grader who was probably as tall as you, if not taller. She was pushing six feet. A beautiful girl. She would have been a wonderful Cinderella or something, but she wanted to be Annie. And you couldn't have this towering Annie, the, no. the eighth grader, um, whereas, I, you know, there was a very strong, talented fifth grader who was just a real spitfire and a mm. you know, spunky personality. She was perfect for it. But the other one, you know, it's, it was her, her eighth grade year. It was her last year in the school. She wanted the lead in the show. Well, I gave her, who was the, Miss Hannity. Miss Hannity. And she did, yeah. Hannigan. Did a fabulous job. And then later, you know, she apologized because she really, you know, writes a letter and the parents have to come in. And, oh, my goodness, it turned out great fun, but it, it was a challenge. Yeah, I, when I directed plays in high school, that was not easy. because When, you, when the casting list goes up, we would go high. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. people would nobody, inevitably somebody's upset. Oh, sure. Know. Not everyone. You yeah. can't keep them all happy. Everybody wants no. a certain part. I wonder how they work it out now. They being like uh, everybody gets a reward of some kind. I remember I had a cast. We were doing the, the show George M. And the lead character, George M. Cohen, had a, had a sing and had a dance and was a big, big part, mm-hmm. major part. And there were two young men. And one young man I knew um, for, for many years because he had gone to, to the grammar school because I was a teacher, but I knew his family. 
And he was he had been taking dance lessons and singing lessons for years and years and years and years. But this other kid came out of the woodwork, and he blew me away. I mean, he was perfect. He he was he was tap dancing. He was he was acting. Oh my he goodness! Was, oh, and I do? I cast him as the lead. And uh, the next day, seriously, on the the next day, my all four of my tires were flat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence! It's amazing. How did isn't that it? happen? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. But, oh, yeah. that's a tough. Now, when our kids were in high school, do you remember they would double cast? Yeah. So you'd have cast A and cast B or, you know, one and two, whoever. And so more people would get. And then you take, what if that young man got sick or or broke his ankle or some crazy thing? You have a backup. Well, that's what I remember when I was, when I was Tevia 50 years ago. And I would say to to Father Corona, who was directing the play up at St. Peter's. And I said, Father, I said, what happens if I get sick? I mean, the the part of Tevye carries. I mean, that he's in every scene. The whole almost. show, yeah. And he says, if you get sick, I'm taking you over to Doctor Santangelo's and fill you up with penicillin, and you'll be better in a day or two. He said, you're going on stage. Wow. So yeah, you but you take be... that chance. And never really, you know, oh, sure. if you can't double cast, you would just take a, you know, take it as as we did. And you know, you run yourself into the ground because there's rehearsals almost every day. You're still keeping up with your schoolwork and your homework. Some kids even have a little part time job. Everybody gets sick after the show. You know, you close Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, Monday, you get the day off from school, and Tuesday, everybody's sick. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, our, our production at St. Peter's High School in 1970 was uh, fall of 72. We did the at the high school, but it was so popular, and we packed the house every night Aww. that Father Corona arranged to do it at the State Theater in New Brunswick on um Whatever that, I forget the main street there, but mm. um, that state theater had been an old vaudeville theater. Is that George Street? Maybe? Is it George Street or Albany? One of those, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, and it was, in, and it was, they were beginning to renovate it and they were going to open it up. It hadn't been used for years, but it was a 2,000 seat theater. I mean, it was oh bigger my. than most, I think it was bigger than most theaters on Broadway. Oh my. And so Father arranged for us to do the, one performance at the state theater and, um, what a thrill! Leading up to that, I I did I get I had some kind of cough. It wasn't COVID, <laughs> fifty years ago, but I had some kind of cough that I could not get rid of, and it was it would I would start to cough and I couldn't stop. Oh. And we're kind of getting closer to you know the, the show date, and uh, I mean thanks be to God, eventually it went away. But we were all getting scared because I you know you take a breath, <coughs> you start to cough. Well, I'm sure great. I was run down. We were rehearsing all oh, the time. Sure. It was winter time, and and uh, but I will say we packed the house. We Fabulous. filled that theater, and I'll never forget standing on stage all by myself with this big spotlight coming, oh, coming my. out of the balcony, singing "If I Were a Rich Man." What a thrill! Were you were you nervous? Did no, you I ate it. You know, I love that. I, yeah, <laughs> big ham. I love that stuff. <laughs> what? I ate it up. It was great. Yeah. But I remember we were doing the Lakayam dance. You know, we were singing Lakayim, and the men had a, had a dance, and we, were, and we would do those circles, put our arms around each other's shoulders and, and mm-hmm. go in a circle. And at the end, you know, to life, and we all crashed down to the floor, and I landed on my on my elbow, and I thought my arm was broken. Oh my <laughs> I thought, oh, no, no. Well, no. you went out with a bang. <laughs> it wasn't broken, but it was, it, I really, really it, it banged it up. Oh. <laughs> and then my, you know, my pal Peter, we're still best, best pals. He was, mm-hmm. in, he was in the show. He didn't go to St. Peter's, but he was in the show because he was a good dancer, so Father... He went to St. Peter's Prep up in Jersey City, but and Father he Corona him in. he pulled him in. He said, "Come on, Peter, you can you can dance." And he did one of the bottle dances. But it was just before we were uh, the, the curtain, the, the opening curtain, and I forgot my suspenders, 
So my pants weren't staying up. I said, Peter, I said, please give me a belt or something. My pants are falling down. And so he gave me his belt. I was just funny stuff, you know. You yeah. wish you could relive the whole thing and just kind of, it was just so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. You've really built a family with your cast members. Yeah. And it was a great way to unify, at least, um, you know, we used to have in high school, nine through 12. It, it wasn't like you did like the 12th grade play. It was right? a senior, was play, senior yeah, play. Yeah. But we had incorporating all the grades. So it was a great way to, you know, meet others and, and bond with yeah. kids in the other grade levels. Now, I remember Father Corona, uh, now he's Monsignor Corona. He's up in, uh, I think, Plainfield or somewhere up there now, but in the Touching Diocese. But we, we would always begin the rehearsals. We'd pray to St. Genesius. Mm-hmm. He'd lead us in prayer, which was nice because it incorporated, you know, our faith into what we're doing. Right. But to do Fiddler on the Roof in a Catholic school, we were, I think, we, we were, if not the first, the, the second, at least, um, uh, company or, or school organization that did the, the play after it left Broadway. Okay, yeah. And Jack Ellery, who was a, a broadcaster at WCTC in uh, New Brunswick, since passed away, God rest his soul, but he was a Jewish man. And we invited him to come see the play. We thought it was a big deal, get the big radio guy to come yeah. see the play. <laughs> And uh, the next day, the next morning, he was talking about it on the air. And my mother recorded it on a little cassette tape. But he was saying, and Jack Keller said, but the guy who's playing Tebbia, if he's not Jewish, I don't know what. Oh. There you go. <laughs> so my, my, my Jewish, well, my Jewish roots, roots came out. That's right. If you really traced it way back. You know, talking about shows, if we have a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Luke Productions does uh, stage plays about the saints. St. Faustina, Maximilian right. Colby. So many others. And um, the most recent one, the newest one, is Tolton from Slave to a Priest. And I think for Black History Month, it's really being brought to the forefront. And it's going to be in our listening area in Philadelphia and Camden. Mm -hmm. So if you go to stlukeproductions.org, stlukeproductions.org, you can see where and when there's uh, three places, St. Timothy, Church on Levick Street, that's Northeast Philadelphia, and Our Mother of Consolation, as well as the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Camden. So uh, I would encourage anyone to go see that. The gentleman, Jim Cole, who plays Tolton, does a magnificent job. And of course, I'm, I'm promoting it because our son, Anthony, composed the score, the music, all the music you hear he, he penned. Uh, but there's there's props and lighting, and they have a screen. Not that they bring a lot of characters, but the car- other characters come to life, like Tolton's mother and the bishop. And they have a back screen where it's it's like a film, and the woman sings, and you feel like they're right there, but they're kind of like in his mind as mm-hmm. he remembers. But it, I was just so impressed when I saw that a few years ago. So now that... Um, the pandemic is kind of behind us, and they're getting out for live performances. They're doing several high school performances. They're going to go to Father Judge mm-hmm. and Roman Catholic, but there are evening performances that last week of February, the 23rd, 25th, and 27th. So check it out and go online, and I really encourage you. And it's a free will offering. You don't even need a ticket. Mm-hmm. So please, please go support their fine and work. And the web address again is? St. Luke Productions. It's S-T, Luke Productions. Yes. Dot org. org. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to be joined by Father Blake Britton and uh, talk about his brand new book, Reclaiming Vatican II what it really said, what it means, and how it calls us to renew the church. 
So you stay right where you are, my friends. We'll be right back with more Friday Live.
Welcome back, friend. Happy to have you here. Father Blake Britton serves as a parish priest and assistant vocations director in the Diocese of Orlando. He's a regular contributor to the Word on Fire Institute's blog and its evangelization and culture journal. He also co-hosts the Burroughshire podcast. He's a classically trained opera singer, pianist, and organist, and is trained in classical Latin and biblical Greek. And in seminary, Father discovered the truth and beauty of the Second Vatican Council while he was there and witnessed firsthand the power and has witnessed firsthand the power of its teaching in the life of his own parish. And in his brand new book, Reclaiming Vatican II, Father clears up misconceptions about the council and reveals how, when properly understood and applied, it fosters a rich experience of being in the church. We want to welcome to the program Father Blake Britton. Welcome, Father. Thank you. Happy to be with you. And my mother is actually raised in Trenton, New Jersey, and I have a lot of family up there, so it's great to be with a radio station based out of that wonderful state. There you <laughs> go, and we're not we're we're, we're actually at our city of licenses, Trenton here, and uh, oh, so wonderful, uh, wonderful. So we'll oh, fantastic! Yeah, my mother's <laughs> baptized right in downtown St. Mary Cathedral. Oh, oh sure, that, wonderful. Okay, well that's yeah. great. So we have that connection. Right Another connection we have that I'm sure we can get into a little bit. Uh, uh, my wife, who's with me here, Cheryl, uh, hosting the program with me, is also a classically trained pianist and organist at her parish and uh, director of liturgy. So so we could talk for wow. hours. <laughs> I'm sure we could. Yes, yeah, sure wonderful. Could. Now, Father, I see your picture, and I see you're a young man. I myself lived through the changes of Vatican II. I was in a Catholic grammar school from 1960 to 1968, and then on the high school, Catholic high school. But I personally experienced what was going on at the time, and, and you know, my first sacraments were made— in 1962, so uh, by the mid-60s, everything began to change. And in your yeah. book, Reclaiming Vatican II, what really happened? What, 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 re- what does it really say? What, what, what are we, how have we misinterpreted this in so many ways over these years? In other words, have we gotten it wrong? Because the pendulum seemed to swing so far to the other side and people went a little crazy, especially in some parishes more than others. So it's almost like right. we have to rope them back in. So what's what was the true intention of Vatican II? Wonderful question. And that really does constitute the thesis of the whole text. Now, what I will preface this explanation with is this is actually quite typical in the history of the Church, specifically after an ecumenical council. If you were to go back to Church history, look at something like the Council of Trent, for example— Things were not hunky-dory in the decades immediately following Trent. It took almost a century to go to full effect, and that's why you had saints like Charles Borromeo, Teresa of Avila later on in the post-Reformation period, who really start working to, to solidify the vision of the Council of Trent. So we're still in that, that Goldilocks zone, if you will, in the Council of the Second Vatican, insofar as we're not there, we're not over the hill in the implementation phase. So with that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, what went wrong? What sort of happened? Of course, Vatican II itself is not the problem. Actually, Vatican II is a magnificent, magnificent council filled with rich and deep theology. What really was problematic is what we call the implementation phase. And you can read the writings of St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict, just to name two of the most influential, but also other theologians that will give credence to what I'm about to say. But in this implementation phase, there were theologians who were either participants at the council or were outside of the council who were rather disappointed by Vatican II, because in their mind, it was not radical enough. They considered it a highly conservative council that did not go to the extremes they thought it should have. And so in the post-conciliar implementation phase, we're talking about mid-1960s to the early 1970s and on to the 80s, 
there was this attempt not to really implement Vatican II, but to implement their version of Vatican II, or what I think Vatican II should have been. Mm -hmm. This is what Henri de Lubac, who's a well-known French theologian, he dubbed it the para-council or the anti-council. So it was this fake narrative or this false narrative that masqueraded under the offices, that masqueraded under the authority of the ecumenical council, but did not authentically implement its vision. We saw that was radically done, of course, in the sacred liturgy when you have the suppression of Latin and different forms of the mass, which was not asked for at all by Vatican II. And you can see that in less regards than other places, such as the, the decrease of emphasis on the sacrament of reconciliation, questions on human sexuality and contraception, there's a whole list of ways that the pair councils influence the current church. But that's the basic language and the basic um, problem that took place in the past five decades. And what my book is directly addressing is how can we educate ourselves in the Paris Council and what we can do, what can we do to reclaim the real dignity and beauty of the Second Vatican Council? Because one of the other fallouts of that, and I'll end with this, is that as a reaction to the paraconciliar agenda, there's now been a traditionalist response. So you have those who have been wounded by the paraconciliar agenda. And now they hate Vatican II, quote-unquote, although it's not really Vatican II that they don't like. It's the false version of Vatican II that they've encountered. And now they're responding by sort of retreating to a pre-conciliar notion of the Church. And that, I think, Father, is is the key. I remember uh, our good friend of happy memory, Father Benedict Rochelle, one time said, there's a specter out there known as the spirit of Vatican II. Mm -hmm. And that, right, exactly. that, that phrase was used a lot uh, to justify a lot of very odd interpretations, right? Right, absolutely. That phrase, unfortunately, is one that was hijacked very quickly after the Council, and you're absolutely correct. What it, what it really speaks to is, why may they be doing what the Council Fathers ask, but I'm doing it in the same mindset? Well, the Church isn't working on mindsets. The Church works on hard evidence. It works on the documentations that she produces. And so when you start going to this experimental notion of implementing reform or theology that can become very dangerous because you lose sight working with the magisterium and the Holy Spirit's vision. So you're absolutely right. That language of the spirit of Vatican II is not healthy language. It really should go back to what is Vatican II? Uh, and Pope Benedict will write about that extensively in a lot of his works. And I know here our own bishop in Trenton, who has his own program here on our station once a month, I remember him saying to me, because I, I like to, I, on my program each day, uh, occasionally I do like to read from the actual documents, because people have to really hear what the documents actually say. But Bishop O'Connell told me one yeah. time, he said, traditionally, it's taken about 50 years, anytime there's been a council, taken about 50 years for the dust to settle, for people to really to understand what it was about. And that is absolutely correct. A very astute observation I would say 50 years for the dust to settle, another 50 for it to be fully realized in most of its ways. And, and we see that within, the, again, the Council of Trent, Nicaea, Calcedon, Ephesus, over and over again, because these are major themes that the Church is dealing with. I think it's important for us in a postmodern age, when we're used to immediate gratification, to realize that we're not going to have that with Vatican II, because it, it, it's a historic movement of the Church. That moves in epochs, not in decades. We're talking with Father Blake Britton about his brand new book, Reclaiming Vatican II. It's published by Ave Maria Press, and of course their web address is AveMariaPress.com. Uh, Father, tell us a little bit about what, what's, in, what's in the book. I see as you break it down, some familiar, uh, the sacred liturgy, the Church, divine revelation. This is, these are all actual documents out of, the, out of the Council itself. Yes. So what I do is in the first 
two chapters, I address the periconciliar questions elaborated on. And then I go into the four what is called dogmatic constitutions. So these are the four major constitutions of the church. Overall, there are 16 that the Vatican Council produced, but these four provide the foundations for the theology that's present in the others, as well as the theology that's now guiding the church into the third millennium. These four things are on the sacred liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, Lumen Gentium on the church, Dei Verbum on divine revelation, specifically in tradition and scripture, and then finally Gaudium et Spes, which deals in the field of missionary and evangelical mission in the life of the church. So with that in mind, that logic, as I say, of Vatican II is very clear how the liturgy is the source and summit of our faith. This is everything has to be hinged. It is the primary responsibility of the Church, to quote Vatican II directly in paragraph 10 and 11. So if the liturgy is not rooted, if it's not orthodox, if it's not pious in the proper sense, then we're not going to be focused as a Church. That, that is our anchor, and Vatican II is adamant about that. Then flowing out of the liturgy, of course, is the identity of the Church herself. This is the second major document, Lumen Gentium. Many say that Lumen Gentium, and I agree, crowning jewel of Vatican II, uh, it, it recultivates uh, over a thousand years' worth of theological development that has someone been lost uh, due to the fall of Rome in 476, the sack of the Turks in 1453, and then leading on to the 16th and 17th centuries. But all that to say, and I need more historical details in my book, that by the time we reach the 18-1900s, or the post-Enlightenment period, we have lost track of a lot of this original theology of the Church that came specifically from the Church Fathers. Now, in the two centuries preceding Vatican II, we discover a lot of these, these texts, and we recultivate them into the life of the Church, and that gives birth to Lumen Gentium, which is not just, in my opinion, the most beautiful document of Vatican II, but I would say as a Church historian, as a theologian, it is one of the most beautiful documents ever produced by the Catholic Church in a 2,000-year history. It is an outstanding piece of text and a really rich theology. And then, of course, flowing from our identity of the Church, the way that we that we revisit that identity is by reflecting on the scriptures and our traditions. And finally, if we are people rooted in the liturgy, we, from the liturgy, receive our identity, we reflect on that identity with the wisdom of divine revelation, then we're able to go out to convert the world. And this is the real purpose of Vatican II. A lot of people criticize it, saying that it was a new age kind of council, it was a very worldly council. On the contrary, Vatican II was very clear in saying that in a post-World War II world, in a world that's eaten up with secularism, socialism, communism, there was a need for the Church to have a very strong voice to convert the world back to the kingship of Christ. And this is evidenced in God in the paragraph 22, where it speaks about Christ as the center of all creation and all of reality. So overall, those are the themes that I go through in my book. In the final chapter, I'll reflect on the question of what do we do now? How do we move forward? Father, of course, I'm going to ask a musical question. <laughs> um, of course, and one of the one of the big uh, I feel like uh, results of this spirit of Vatican II really affected the music and what we sing at Mass. And of course, if we are going to be rooted in that faithful tradition where our praise is directed to God, our praise and adoration is toward Jesus. Um, and all of a sudden outgrows this huge body of music where it almost turns it around and makes us, as the, the, the attendee, the participant, all of a sudden, I myself am the bread of life. All the focus has turned around to, here I am, Lord. It, 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 instead of focusing and directing to Jesus, we're talking about ourselves at Mass. Do you know, does that make sense? Yes, yes, you're absolutely correct. This is, again, one of the, the negative influences of the Paracouncil. 
what happened this what happened with the Paris Council in short, to put it very bluntly, is they want to treat Vatican II as year zero in the life of the church. Yeah. <laughs> All this is you know, the two thousand years probably did not really matter. Whereas the Vatican II documents themselves are very clear in saying that we are to build upon the liturgical patrimony we've already received. So we just can't go from Gregorian chant and polysonic chant by Thomas Luis Victoria to praise and worship and our God is an awesome God. Mm-hmm. Where, that is like a very big jump. <laughs> right, right. So where's the organic development there and how do we continue the tradition? But along with that, of course, is a very negative theological emphasis, and that emphasis is on the community above and beyond divinity. Mm-hmm. And that cannot be the source of liturgy nor the source of sacred music. And I, I do have a whole section of this in my book about sacred music in particular, yeah. the fact that our music our architecture and the paraconciliar influence and period really came to reflect an anthropocentric or egotistical notion of liturgy as opposed to a divine and theocentric theological notion of liturgy. Thankfully, I think a lot of people are, are waking up to that and, and returning to these traditions that are tried and true in our faith. I think you're right. There seems to be a tendency now to revert back to the tried and true traditional hymns, um, a little bit more pious. And again, should sh- we should be opening that window to heaven. We experience the divine liturgy. We should be getting a little peek beyond the veil into that heavenly space rather than, aren't we great? We are one body. Look at us. We're, we're communing here. You, you know, you know right. what I'm saying. Yeah. One of my least favorites, and I can go ahead and make this public knowledge. Typically, mm-hmm. I try to hold these things close to the chest, but what the heck. <laughs> there's, there's this one one song that I can't stand called Sing a New Church into Being. Oh, Sing a New yes, Church. Yes, I and know. And I'm thinking, I mean, the theology of that song is the, the very definition of what's wrong with spirit right. conciliar thought in general. Right. But, but just, it, it's such a poisonous ethic to think that we somehow create the church or hold it into being. No, the Trinity holds the church in being. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It's the, the apostolic succession, the magisterium. These are the things, the faith of our fathers, so to speak. Um, and so these are the things that hold the church into being. But I agree with you 100%. We could talk about another two hours on those things. I know, the, uh, I know. The 19, 1970s and 80s Catholic jukebox. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, Father. Now, we, ni- we'll, ni- we'll save that for another day. Yes. <laughs> ni- 1970, I was a freshman in high school, and we had our, it was a Catholic high school. We had our... Our mass, and uh, well, my goodness, we were singing "Let It Be" by the Beatles. Oh my! Ay, 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 probably because Mother Mary spoke to me. I'm like, that's not right? the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's, that's right. Father. That's right. That's right. But you know, Father, I, one thing I have, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine recently, and Chris, we here at Domestic Church Media, Cheryl and I are the co-founders of this apostolate, and working, of course, with the bishop and getting, getting, you know, our letter of approval and working with the church. But Vatican II really did empower laity in many ways. And I, I, I think that that's a great fruit. I, I told my friend, I said, you know, if we didn't have Vatican II, we probably wouldn't have these Catholic radio stations run by lay people today, yep. right? Yep. So that is a huge point. And I'm happy you brought that up because what usually happens is because of that paraconciliar influence, we tend to focus on the negative fallout of that false narrative at the cost of really all the amazing things that Vatican II accomplished. You're hitting on one of the major things, which is in chapter five and four, five and six, actually, of Lumen Gentium that reflects on the universal call to holiness and going into the life of the lady, the relationship, the hierarchy in the church, the churches of some people. The Catholic faith 
and its origins and its apostolic origins was quite collaborative in its in its uniqueness cooperating between the laity and the clergy. Now, that doesn't mean the laity replaced the clergy, which was the paraconciliar notion that we all somehow consecrate the Eucharist, whatever that foolishness is. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that in the apostolic mode of church, which now going back to in this post-Christian world, it's going to necessitate a collaborative effort between the gifts and talents of the laity and the gifts and talents of the ordained ministers and consecrated ministers of the church. And Vatican II foresaw that, building on, by the way, a theology that was already being developed in the century preceding Vatican II, not least of which was through the guild movements under Leo XIII, and then also going into Opus Dei and St. Jose Maria Escrida. So we have inklings of the Holy Spirit planting seeds that will eventually bear full fruit in Vatican II, but you're absolutely right. Catholic radio stations, laity helping four married couples, a feeding of the poor, preaching the gospel, all these things are very important, and they're not anti-Catholic. They're very much a part of the original Catholics. Well, sure, the priests, the bishop, they can't do it all, and we're trying to reach those people, the homebound, and uh, oh my goodness, the, the list goes on forever, and we need the laity to be the hands and the feet in extension yes. of the priests and the sisters. Yes, you're absolutely correct, and and I've shared that multiple times when I travel and give talks, how, you know, right, one of the projects I'm working on right now is that I'm doing uh, video game commentaries through Word on Fire and the Word on Fire Institute. We have a new series out called God and Gaming. You should check it out. It's really fascinating. But I've spoken with some video game developers out in, you know, Hollywood or different places. And I'll say that, you know, I can't go to the video game industry design company and evangelize. I can't. That's not my mission. But they can Mm-hmm. As lay people, they can they can influence that industry. And so my duty as a priest is to nourish them with orthodoxy, to nourish them with sacred liturgy, to nourish them with the sacrament and solemnity, and then they take that food and they're able to share the world. Beautiful. Well, we've been talking with Father Blake Britton. The book is called Reclaiming Vatican II, a wonderful, wonderful book published by Ave Maria Press, and their address is AveMariaPress.com. Uh, Father Blake, my goodness, we so much appreciate uh, this great work. Again, friends, the book is called Reclaiming Vatican II. So, Father, thanks for being with us today. and uh, We'll have to we'll... have you back. Yeah. Please, I'd be deeply honored, and thank you for the privilege of speaking to, to one of my home states. There you <laughs> yes. go. And, uh, and especially the, the Diocese of Trenton. What a gift. So please extend my warm regards to your wonderful bishop and, and to all your constituents there. I'm praying for you. Thank, thank you, you, Father. God, God bless, bless you. you. Have a great day. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. And friends, we'll be right back. Don't go away. Father Benedict Groeschel. There are legitimate differences of opinion in any religion. There are differences of opinion in Catholicism. But in Catholicism, you expect that people will take the teaching of its supreme authority seriously. To go diametrically opposed to those teachings is to not be a Catholic. Someone in the name of Catholicism is sponsoring the destruction of human life, lives of unborn children. And they got the name Catholic on the door. The highest authority in Catholicism and the encyclical Humanae Vitae, Evangelium Vitae, is absolutely clear that no Catholic can support abortion and that Catholics are responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. 
Father Benedict Groeschel. There are legitimate differences of opinion in any religion. There are differences of opinion in Catholicism. But in Catholicism, you expect that people will take the teaching of its supreme authority seriously. To go diametrically opposed to those teachings is to not be a Catholic. Someone in the name of Catholicism is sponsoring the destruction of human life, lives of unborn children. And they got the name Catholic on the door. The highest authority in Catholicism and the encyclical Humanae Vitae, Evangelium Vitae, is absolutely clear that no Catholic can support abortion and that Catholics are responsible to take serious action against legalized abortion. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Well, welcome back. And uh, Well, next week is uh, National Marriage Week. You know that? A whole week, not just a day? No, National Marriage Week. Wow. Bishop said you can go to foryourmarriage.org. It's all there and all kinds of suggestions uh, for doing things during National Marriage Week. Okay. You can sign up for all kinds of stuff. <laughs> uh, for exactly the things there for in date, uh, dating and engaged couples. And the, the, the things for married life, they have Just Wait, a letter from a newlywed couple. Oh. 10 pointers for prayer, 25 ways to fight fair. <laughs> so we, ha- we have to have 25 fights. I guess. <laughs> 25 ways to fight fair. Shouldn't it be fight fairly? I would, I would think that would be, you know, grammatically correct. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there must be a way to so, anyway, it's all have there. a difference of opinion and still remain civil. Oh, sure. I remember our Holy Father, Pope Francis, would talk about uh, throwing plates. Plates will fly, he said. I never threw a, f- a plate at you. Not at me. No. no. <laughs> Nor have I thrown anything at you. No. <laughs> but kisses. I've just thrown kisses to you. Kisses hugs. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go. So uh, have a great weekend, friends. And uh, thanks for being part of our Friday, our first Friday. And... Uh, We'll be back next Friday. I'll be here on Tuesday, God willing. and uh, Stay warm and dry. See you next week. Bye.